0: On this episode of The Alt-Normal.
1: I've got my philosophy of life down to two sentences. Love is unconditional. Life gives us conditions so we can love them. In other words, whatever is arising can be welcomed. And that's the type of listening that is required for awakened leadership. There's something about relaxing the nervous system that is directly connected to awakening and to leadership. And that more and more as I teach this work in the Venn diagram of awakening and leadership they're almost the same.
0: Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt-Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth.
1: Joe Biden will become president of the United States
0: doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of
1: self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times, powerful moment of revolution.
0: How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The Alt-Normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness, realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies and marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Canggu that enable people to live and work from paradise, encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. So with that, I'm so excited to introduce our guest today, Rick Smith, and I'm going to share a little bit about him um, and just so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you. So Rick Smith has been a classroom teacher, an education consultant, and over the past 20 years has spoken to over 100,000 people in 15 countries on five continents, his best selling book, Conscious Classroom Management, has now sold over a quarter million copies and continues to touch the lives of teachers and their students. So, through the years of working with students and then with teachers, he's discovered simple principles for connection, aliveness, and kindness. The same internal muscle that allows a teacher to stay calm in a chaotic classroom and that allows her to see the best in her students regardless of what they look or act like, is the same muscle that allows us to awaken, to lead, to stand up, and to move mountains in the world. These principles and approaches are at the core of his current workshops and retreats. When he teaches and facilitates, he offers practical ways for participants to know and love themselves And remember their own innocence, wholeness, and enoughness, especially in all the tight corners of their inner and outer worlds. He lives and shares tools and skills that assist us all on the pathway back to unconditional self love and acceptance. He currently lives and teaches in Bali, Indonesia. It's such an honor, Rick.
1: Wow, who's, who, do, who are you reading about? That's amazing. <laughs> I want to meet that guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, you know, don't be jealous, but I'm about to uh, meet him myself. And so, you know, I'm mm-hmm. just really excited to talk to you today because, and I'll share about this more later, but I first learned about you as the guy who does authentic relating here on the island And before you actually were in Bali, you were in the U.S. You've traveled all over the world. And for where where I stand, you really, truly are this kind of global citizen. And, you know, as a global citizen with really a a very 30,000-foot view of culture and people, I would just love to start off broadly and ask you, are we as a culture really fulfilling our capacity to be authentic? in today's world.
1: Oh, well, apparently I know the answer to that. <laughs> I want to just say that um I don't know that I have a, a of a of a broad view. Um I certainly have a view, which is that authenticity has a certain it's a continuum and it's it's kind of infinite. Like we can always attend more to what's happening with ourselves and welcome what's happening more. So in that sense as a culture as a world culture we are on the continuum but we well, there's a lot more that could that could uh, be fostered for sure. And I mean just briefly the authenticity can be kind of scary. It can be kind of vulnerable and uh, it opens up space, it opens up intimacy, and it's the, this really interesting dance between comfort and growth. And we're all in it. And I don't think that's changed in a fundamental way because of COVID, or it's always here. It's it's individual and it's also collective. And you can just see that culturally in ter- terms of like how people, how close to the vest they play in some areas and not so much in others. But really the bottom line is you know, as, we're, as I'm talking with you and we're here in this room, how am I being with myself this moment? What am I noticing this moment? And in that sense, it's I'm taking the global picture into the personal because I think that's really where it lands. So I don't have the biggest picture. Or if I do, it's one of seven billion biggest mm-hmm. pictures. Um, but as I, as I attend to myself, I notice what's happening with me. Um, that's a good start.
0: And so I haven't been to an authentic relating circling experience yet, although it's on my list. Mm -hmm. So I'm very much excited to be talking to you. Um, But I, I kind of read a little bit about these sort of layers of relating, which I want to peel back the layers of that onion as we continue to explore together. But first, I want to just contextualize a little bit because in my research of authentic relating, I thought, okay, let me just type in these words into Google and see who's talking about this. And it's funny, I saw an article that The Atlantic wrote about back in 2017. And the title was The Club Where You Bear Your Soul to Strangers. (laughs) And, you know, this this, uh, reporter... Stayed very much at the informational level. So what's the history of authentic relating? It began apparently in the late 90s in San Francisco, but has now grown to this worldwide community of 14 different countries, right? So people are engaging with this stuff and it's growing, especially now in this time that we're living in. And that said, you know, she stays very informational or he or they Mm -hmm. forget who. Um, But I'd like for you to take us a little bit deeper in sort of what you're noticing now and what you were saying. But how did, I guess, let's start with how did authentic relating come into your life?
1: Um, Well, for many years, I've been interested in discovering myself. And I've been the guy at at the table at dinner who said, hey, instead of chit chat, maybe we could all talk about like, answer a question or talk about what's going on or what we're passionate about. I, I've just over the years noticed like a a a lessening tolerance for chit chat and more interest in a deeper connections. So that's been there. And then in Bali three years ago, uh there was an authentic relating workshop from a organization that it was their first workshop. They're based in Colorado and I attended and 10 minutes in I thought, oh, I need to teach this. And so I said, I need to teach this. So while well, we have to figure out how to do that. And so I became their first trainer because um, of my background, it's, it's kind of part of what I do anyway. And um, so that's where it originated. And what I love about it, I mean, I love a lot about it, but it's, it's the structures, the exercises are what I would call doorways into presence. And it doesn't matter how much I teach the same thing, I go deeper each time. It's like I'm peeling the layers inside myself as I am facilitating others. Um, and then the thing that really draws me to it is that the facilitator is not sitting back, like just calling on people. The facilitator allows him or herself to be affected and engaged. Like there's a person who's facilitating. It's as if the author of that article wrote would write how she or he feels as, as he or she's writing. Like how am I being affected as I'm writing? What am I noticing in myself? That is part of the facilitation. So I get to be a participant and a and a facilitator at the same time. It's like a two-for-one special. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the original. And then it's been spreading. The the principles of authentic relating have been around for quite a while. And then there's the different splinter groups. And authentic relating training is the one I work for. And they're as I understand they're the biggest. And their goal is to spread this everywhere, not just among the kind of new age crowd who likes to talk about themselves, but businesses and they have ro- they have a, a big presence in prisons in Colorado. they're really expanding in the corporate world. The idea is to make this kind of stuff accessible to everybody. It doesn't have to be new age language or spiritual. it's just like what's real? what's authentic now, what's happening now? And it works in conflict transformation. It works in, in, in the job place. It, it works pretty much everywhere. So that that is the, those possibilities are very big, for mm-hmm. where 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 it's already going and it's it's spreading like crazy. They did like one workshop in 2017, last year before COVID. They did, I don't know how many live workshops, a hundred. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really it's catching fire because people are discovering not only connecting to themselves and meeting and making good friends in the workshops, but they have tools to carry forward in in everyday life. And that's that's a big piece, mm-hmm. the practical application.
0: Yeah. And I guess even just hearing you talk about authenticity, it's the int- intellectualizing of it is very different than the experience of it when you are in the presence of a person and you can just drop into this very intimate space without even needing to know the backstory or needing to know anything for that matter. I mean, maybe you can shed some light on that, you mm-hmm. know, where you say, even yourself, like you, you are always peeling back those layers and you keep kind of dropping deeper and deeper in. Um, can you maybe shed some color on that or even mm-hmm. just a moment or an experience that you had this year that really activated that sure. for you?
1: Well, I think I want to just be present, like in this moment. So I'm imagining people listening to this podcast. Some are like jogging or on the treadmill, some are at home like cooking or some are like eating a sandwich, you know, and I'm just, I'm going to just offer the possibility as you're listening to this to take a moment and slow down. And that's for you and me as well in the interview and notice what, what the listening is like. Like, are you paying, what's the quality of your attention? Are you feeling, can you feel your body as you're standing or sitting or running or whatever you're doing? Can you, can you notice your breathing? Because to listen is a profound skill. And part of listening is attending to not just the words, but how they impact you. And what your kind of mood is coming in and all of that is part of welcoming what is. That's a key principle or practice of authentic relating is to welcome everything. So what's happening? So as I'm sitting here, um, I'm slightly pivoting in the chair. And so I'm noticing a little torque in my back and it actually feels kind of good. Um, I feel some nervousness and some excitement, and I'm slowing down as I'm speaking, and that feels really good. <laughs> I want to say one thing from the previous question about the statement about, what, it, what was the the author said, it's um, bearing your soul to strangers. I don't look at it that way, not at all. I, it's, <laughs> first thing I say in, in a weekend workshop, or if it's an online workshop is this is not the vulnerability olympics this is not forced march catharsis there's no there's nowhere to go and i invite people to truly welcome everything and everybody so that if the to allow that people are being authentic regardless of what you hear so if the question in the room is what do you desire and someone says i desire a life partner and someone says i desire a pizza we can hold both of those as as authentic, as real, and potentially vulnerable. Because can you imagine, like, I can think of like 10 or 12 different reasons why someone saying they desire pizza is a truly vulnerable statement. <laughs> it can be from, I mean, maybe they're on a special diet or who knows, right? but there's like, so to lean into that welcoming so that there's not this pressure to perform vulnerability, because it's not a performance. It's just what's here. It's like, so there's an so there's an event happening let's say tonight where there's a sharing and there's intimacy and you're feeling like staying home and reading a book. And the noise in your head is oh well obviously if I were a good person if I were really going for it in my life I'd go to this event. But from my perspective no whatever your whatever your impulse is 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 the thing to follow. And for a lot of us to stay home and read a book is actually the most authentic thing we can do rather than go out and do all the things and and spread the word. Actually, I just want to kind of stay home and watch Netflix. That might be what's authentic. Mm-hmm. So it's really just what's here. Mm-hmm. And so as the people, as you're listening to this podcast, and I'm mentioning, you know, to notice you're listening, it's not that you should pay more attention. This is not a hierarchy of, it's like, just notice. What's it like to be listening to this podcast as you're, as you're jogging through a park? or as your your kids are you're yelling in the background, what's it like for you? What do you notice? Does your breath relax so all of that it's just to notice it, and that's what authenticity is it's not gaining some place in some pantheon of masters. It's like no, we're just what we're just who we are, and that can actually hopefully you know that can be a relaxing place it's like yeah, I'm just yeah, I don't want to go to the big event. I want to watch Netflix. Or yeah, I, I kind of want to have my attention divided. I'm listening to the podcast and I'm looking at images on on um on Facebook, and that's fine. It's like whatever's here, just letting it be.
0: I had a feeling that this would happen. <laughs> where it's like, oh, Rick's taking me on a journey of noticing. And um, you know, from where I stand, it's like okay, I have a meditation practice, right, or a yoga practice. And on that mat, I'm present, I'm noticing, or I try to. Mm -hmm. And then when I get off the mat, I try my best to like, carry that feeling or that experience into my life. But oftentimes we forget, right? But what you're kind of shining a light on is, in every moment, just notice. No need to judge or evaluate, but just be with what is. And As I'm speaking these words to you, Mm -hmm. I'm also aware that I have, like, uh, questions that I want to ask you. And I'm like, yeah, but I also just want to kind of follow the flow of what you're saying um, and just allow it to come through. And to even name that feels different because that's not something I do.
1: You're part of the thing. You're part of It's like you're no longer the facilitator in the background. Now you and I are engaged in a connection. And with this moment. Right. And you it's tricky, isn't it? Because you have an agenda to ask certain questions and then but you're also in this flow. I get it. <laughs> 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 so I apologize. <laughs> I didn't want to s- 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 knock you off your flow.
0: <laughs> no, but I think, you know, even just naming that feels good. Cause at least you know now, ah, oh, right, I have the um, desire to look down at these questions and like to follow this journey that I wanted to go on with you, but at the same time, it's beautiful to also let go and be like, "Yeah, but I'm fine, just kind of seeing where this goes
1: and it might be authentic for us to go through the questions like i it's not it's not a it's it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. you mentioned um meditation and I haven't really heard this spoken before, but my sense of authentic relating—the practice—is it's like mindfulness, but in conversation. It's like noticing what's here, but it's not just. There's a, there's all sorts of, of, like I said, doorways into presence, but the main one is to notice what's here. But but there's a lot of pieces. And um, I also want to comment since we're on the in the flow here. There's there's something that I'm, I'm there's a lot of things I'm passionate about, and one is. This idea of being present, and I wrote a blog um, that I'm going to describe now because I think it's worth it. Um, it's kind of funny and embarrassing. Um, so I like to dance. I've been going to Five Rhythms dances for many, many years. And um, many years ago, I'm dancing in this gymnasium. There's like all these people, and uh, this woman who I'm really attracted to starts dancing with me, and I'm I start freaking out. Like what? Why would she be dancing with me? I'm just this little, you know, this thing in the corner. And she's dancing. Does she really want to be dancing with me? What's what's going Is it charity? Does she really like what is this? You know, and and I'm just and I start I need to move my body in a way where she feels comfortable leaving. So she doesn't feel trapped because I don't want her to be trapped. And this, this my oh, she's moving her arm. I'm moving my arm. Like this whole this noise for like a four-minute dance is just pouring through my head. Right? But I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the the the, the energy of it, the pressure of it. So the dance is over. I'm out in the parking lot. And she approaches me and says, thank you so much for the dance. You were so present. (laughs) I'm like, I was present? Are you kidding me? And I'm like, wow, I got her fooled, you know. And I just kind of put that in the the back of my mind. Well, this kind of thing happened periodically over the years where people – my mind is racing and people thank me afterwards for being so present. And I thought, have I fooled everybody or am I – missing something that i was present i was act they were right i was present i was present to all of the noise in my head i was present to my body moving to the thoughts and and, and the freak out and that that is presence like i didn't have to have a clear pond experience to be myself and this is something that i that i find that the reason i'm passionate about it is because i find i come across so many people who have this comparison, this internal comparison, that it's this assumption that presence is good and that presence means that I feel clear and there's no noise in my head. Mm-hmm. And I challenge that, because a noisy head can be welcomed just as much as a quiet head. Like a, the, like, like love is unconditional, and life gives us conditions so we can love them. Right, so the condition of a noisy head can be welcomed just as much as I'm feeling good, I'm feeling bad. It's just it's just being where we are. Just like in mindfulness practice, you notice the, the thoughts or the waves. It doesn't mean you're not deep in, it's just what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of presence having a particular flavor is falling apart in my awareness and it's so relaxing to discover that the room, there's so much more room for being present inside of any experience rather than having the experience dictate whether I'm being a good person or a bad person so to speak because mm-hmm. if presence is good and non-presence is bad then that's the that's that's underneath that's not spoken oh I'm not present I have to get I have to get my act together maybe maybe you don't maybe that's that's enough just to notice mm-hmm. and maybe presence is in the noticing rather than in the in the experience itself mm-hmm. so I know I, I kind of went far afield in this but why not?
0: Why not? And I actually really uh I love that because you're right. It's like we typically think of presence as like Buddha under the tree or, you know, enlightened on the top of the mountain with your eyes closed in padmasana with certain mudras, you know, and that's one way. That's one flavor and to to borrow your words mindfulness for conversation. I actually remember being in an experience that was inspired by authentic relating. And I thought, wow, this is like yoga, but like off the mat with people engaging. There's that quality or texture that feels really familiar. It's like when you're in that flow and when you're in that state of more body and more just intuition, which, you know, you can see as feminine qualities. um, And, you know, it's really... So there's so many ways to take this, right. so I want to maybe go more to the informational level. No. Oh no! <laughs> All right, okay. No 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 no! Because I'm I'm really um, oh, I'm torn, Rick. I'm torn what to do. It's
1: okay. You probably noticed I'm steering it anyway. So just go ahead and ask your question. <laughs> yeah, you're
0: gonna you're gonna steer it back anyways, Rick. So I'm not really worried there. But it's just um, you know, for me. Something that I'm really curious about is the fact that I see you as a bridge person. You were once upon a time ago, like a an, a classroom educator. Yes. And you wrote a whole book about like how to manage classrooms. And I, for two years, was um, a teacher in Harlem. Oh, wow. Um, another story for another time. But I remember being like, wow, what am I doing? How do I connect with these humans? that I think have more to teach me than I have to teach them. There was something a little strange about this experience. I wasn't expecting it. So for someone like you, who's written a book that's obviously impacted so many people who literally stand up in rooms and teach children every day. How did you, or not how, like what made you wanna leave that and, and go on mm-hmm. the route that you're on now, not leave in like a bad way, but just yeah. like take the big leap into something else, because that was obviously a very impactful space, right? Yeah. So maybe just tell me a little sure. bit about that. I'm curious.
1: Well, there's a lot there. Um, I loved teaching. It was hard. It was really hard when I started. And in a certain sense, I wrote my book. It's mostly for new teachers. It's called Conscious Classroom Management. And my first year of teaching was brutal, my first three years. And I was very surprised that I stayed. And I learned certain things from certain mentors and from trial and error that I realized they made the difference. And so the book is really, it's like for the new teacher I was, mm. that I was struggling as. And so mostly it's for beginning teachers. It works for everybody, but it's its like... a ideally it's it's a roadmap or it's a it's a very practical but it's also just about how we how we treat the kids like do we assume the best about the kids do we all of that is in there and so what happened to me was I was teaching at risk kids in California for about a decade and um i I was also mentoring new teachers and I was Doing little workshops for the school and the county. And then I started going to statewide conferences um, to teach, to share what I know. And the feedback was extraordinary. And I was like, whoa, this is this is there's something here. Mm-hmm. And then so I was teaching full-time and I was doing conferences and working at districts, and I kind of had to make a decision. I couldn't do both as much as I wanted to. So I made the jump. Um I don't know. I mean a lot of times I don't know why I do things. It's like the impulse was to switch. And you know, initially I didn't I mean it was it was a struggle financially because I didn't have a lot of connections, but you know, I I I taught for out of the classroom for 20 years teaching teachers and it took off and I got I got a big name in the states. Mm-hmm. And and then um and I my company's still doing really well and training teachers around the US and and, and internationally and it just Looking back, it was, because I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, the it's like I can influence a handful of students in a deep way or a large number of students in a small way through their teachers. Mm-hmm. So it's there's no right or wrong to it. But for me, it was the it was the influence that I had, the number of lives that I was to homeopathically touched, you know, millions of lives. It just it just felt right. And the other piece is that I, I have a, I, I've always had a deep passion for public speaking mm-hmm. and, and and the craft of it. And to be in front of large audiences doing keynotes for a thousand or more people and to, and to watch others and to practice that, that was really alive for me. And so I still teach um, Presentation skills and other things. I have a workshop or a retreat called "Awakened Leadership," which maybe we'll get to a little bit later. But it's it, it, the principles of my book for teachers are alive in what I teach. Assume the best about kids. How to grow in inner authority. How to break things down into small steps. All of that is alive when it comes to personal growth, awakening just as much as it is for teaching uh, social studies to kids. The same principles.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's beautiful. And I, I feel like, let's like go with the uh, awakened leadership. Sure. I feel like that's a magnet for me in this moment. I'm noticing that. I'm noticing <laughs> that, Rick, using the vocabulary that you're teaching me on the spot. So these words together for me feel very natural. For others who might be listening or maybe in more mainstream traditional cultures, um, maybe I'm assuming here, but like I don't typically see the words awakened and leadership together, right? And, you know, the, the, the heart and soul of this podcast really is how do we integrate and embody the integration of all the different parts of us, all the different threads of diversity (laughs) and complexity that make us able to really step into our power more and step into our authenticity. And so, you know, I, Ari Cardos, who is one of our former guests on the show, she did this Awaken Leadership program. Yes she had this glow about her. And, you know, this was obviously something that I wanted to explore more with you because, um, you know, an awakened leader, I would love to just hear from you. What does it feel like to be an awakened leader?
1: I don't know. (laughs) I mean, uh, I would say what I'm hot on the the trail of is how to lead without performing. The opposite to me of performing is expressing. How to be myself and have that be enough. And it starts with listening. Like listening is a skill that is a lifelong skill. And it's not just listening to others, it's listening to the impulses in oneself and following those impulses into places where mm, you might not want to go. So leaders, it's such a funny thing because leadership starts with leading myself. And earlier in the interview, I was talking about um, thinking that presence is this thing that I have to achieve that feels a certain way. If I think leadership is the same thing, then I'm, I'm, I'm always chasing this carrot and I'm never relaxed. And so to me, there's, I'm learning this now, that there's something about relaxing the nervous system that is directly connected to awakening and to leadership. And that more and more as I teach this work, in the Venn diagram of awakening and leadership, they're almost the same. And so people think of leadership as you have a company and you have this, these quotas to fill and all that. And that's true. And how do you do that without having to recover at the end of the day? How do you nurture yourself in the job as you attend to the needs and of the company and of the employees and of the clients? It comes down to me really simple. It's listening. And it's also something I said earlier, which is I've got my philosophy of life down to two sentences. Love is unconditional. Life gives us conditions so we can love them in other words whatever is arising can be welcomed and that's the type of listening that is required for awakened leadership because if you I'm, I'm with if I say I'm leading other people to really listen to what is needed and to allow what is needed to to be to be rather than thinking that I have to push it away or sandpaper it or get to the next thing there's something about the overlap of being and doing that is, is, is what my passion is. And you can see I'm a little fumbly because I don't have the language perfectly down. But in my retreat, we explore different fundamentals of human condition. We look at the no- making friends with the noises in our heads, like the experience that most people have from time to time, if not all the time, is that they're not enough or they don't deserve love and how to be with that how to love that condition and welcome that condition rather than get rid of it so that we look in the mirror to see if the experience has changed so that we're lovable. Actually, no, we can actually welcome all of that. Even even the noise, even the, the quote unquote shadow noises, they're just shadow because the light hasn't shown yet. So it's 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 very slow in a certain sense. There's no, people just go at their own pace, but it goes quite deep. So making friends with the noises in our heads we look at our relationship with money and not just partly how we treat money, not just how money treats us. We look at sexuality. We look at our bodies. And and all of this and communication, all of this are ways to welcome, to to deepen our welcoming of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece is that people get up in front and they, they're, they're witness. They're, they're, there's a, the first speech is a silent speech. They get to be in front and feel what it feels like in their body to have everybody looking at them. And then I guide them with their permission. I'm in the back of the room on the microphone saying, okay, so breathe into your, your belly or shake it out or whatever, so that they can start to slow down and feel themselves in the wind of experience of public speaking because it can be overwhelming. I can see you're kind of lighting up as I'm speaking. (laughs) And so we take the threads that, what are the building blocks, the the threads of public speaking? Well, the first one is just being in front and not speaking. And And then through this, we get to a place where people can begin to access their true genius in the world without apology. And it's not that they have to get rid of the apology, they just drop down into their bodies where they realize, oh yeah, I am capable already. I have the noise that says I'm not but I can speak from the place that I know that I am and that's the place that moves mountains. So all of that happens in a week. And I'm just super excited about it. It it gets deeper and deeper each time. There's something so profound. We look at I mean we look at all we look at death, we look at money, we look at at the things that are tend to be kind of off in the closet that keep people holding their breath unconsciously and we just make it conscious. Like what What's your relationship with this? How does this, how does this move you, and what are you passionate about, and how can you bring that into the world? And then we break down the steps. Okay, so you have this thing you want to do. What are the small steps? Not just to achieve the thing you want to achieve, but the steps that bring up the resistance in you, so that you can see it, but so that it's small enough that you can be with it rather than get overwhelmed and shut down. So it's like a step by step process to empower ourselves. So all of that goes into it. Um, and the original question was, I mean, what does it mean to be an awakened leader? <laughs> I would say, I, I don't know. I don't even, because to me, there it's an infinite continuum. So um, I, w- I, would, I like to think that I'm awakening and I'm exploring. And to me, the, the key is not to get to the end of it, but to enjoy the process and to enjoy the exercising of the muscle of welcoming myself in more and more ways. And that does seem to be happening. And that gives me more room to breathe and be in my life where I'm not so much at the effect of all my my noise. And then I notice that it seems to f- help other people as well. They can relax as they welcome different parts of themselves that have been kind of in the closet. So, not the best answer, perhaps, or the direct answer, but that's what's, it's where I'm passionate about.
0: I'm noticing, well, there's a lot of things coming up that I'm curious about, but in this very moment, what I'm noticing is that even you starting the answer with, huh, I don't know. You don't, know, I can't tell you how many times when I'm in the presence of someone who's a quote unquote leader and I don't hear the I don't know's. I hear, oh, I have all the answers right. or this is just how it is without this spaciousness of like, but could it be something else? What might it look like if this, that, and the other? Yes. This sort of openness to possibilities that haven't yet been rationalized into being. Right. And I, you know, it's, and it's interesting because I, I just want to maybe pull out maybe an example from my own life or what I've seen with Uh people I've worked with. um, And there's this thing called imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Right? And maybe you've played with this and explored that with people in your offerings and workshops. But I oftentimes see people that are entrepreneurs or small business owners or have taken the big leap to design a new life. And there's oftentimes this like, whoa, like, am I enough? Yes. Uh, Am I good enough? Am I certified enough? Am I credentialed enough? I feel like an imposter. How could I do that? So these are like the the voices, right? Yes. And so when you talk about, you know, and Tender Edge is the name of your platform, and I love that and I want to get to that, but it's like this edge where you're like, uncomfortable and you want to be in that to be present Mm -hmm. with it so that you're making friends with it and at the same time to show up as a leader who has to borrow your words this inner authority so it's like this fine line where it's like whoa do i want people to really see me in my quote-unquote insecurity quote-unquote imposter syndrome but at the same time be credible so how do i balance these seemingly two polarities Mm -hmm given your lens of awakened leadership?
1: What a great question. I have like 17 answers, none of which I know are the right answer. <laughs> so, um, well, the truth is, this is my assumption, that we know a lot less than we think in a certain, from a certain perspective, and that, that imposter syndrome arises when we are touching the edge of our capacity. And to me, it's a signal that we are touching the edge. It's a good thing. If it doesn't show up repeatedly, then we're not really exploring our edge. Um, So like the tender edge is, that's my website, thetenderedge.com. So the idea of the tender edge is that people all say they want to expand their comfort zone, but they forget that they don't realize that to expand your comfort zone, you need to be uncomfortable by definition, not crazy uncomfortable, but at least a little uncomfortable. That's the edge. So you have one foot in safety and resource and one foot in the mystery, and risk. And you go at a pace that seems maybe slow, but you don't have to slingshot back into, into stasis if you go too far too fast. And when we're touching the edge of our capacity to be empowered or to, to, to own our, our power, we're going to touch the edge of that, which can manifest as the imposter syndrome. It's a natural thing. It's like, yeah, that, I mean, I, I I probably butchering a quote by Brene Brown, but you talked about shame arises when we touch the edge. It's, a, it's not bad. It's not the enemy. It's, it's the signal that we're right at that creative junction where we're at capacity. And so, yeah, from time to time, if not regularly, touching the imposter syndrome experience is actually a doorway rather than a problem. It's a signpost that we're 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 in it. Now let me kind of come from another perspective. I talk about the difference between inner authority and inner apology. And inner authority is like confidence presence. Inner apology is when we're we're shying away from it. And the key is that inner authority is not a performance. It's not I have it together and I'm in an inner authority. Authority just means we're authors of what of, of what we're saying or doing. So we're in—I call it—we're being—we're in—we're being with the charge of being in charge of a situation because there's a charge to it. Everybody follow me? Like what? That's intense, right? It could be. So I'm I'm welcoming that charge. So if I push away that charge, then I go into inner apology, which might be something like as a school teacher. Um, everybody could you kind of open your books to page 27? Okay, page 27. You might get two overachievers in the front row with page 21. Everyone's like, "Whoa, party." They don't it's like it's not going to work. You know, and another form of that is seems the opposite, which is get your darn books open. Like I'm st- I'm, I'm I'm still in an apology. I'm pushing away my insecurity by trying to force feed the situation and prove to everybody that I have it together. I'm, I'm like trying to override my imposter syndrome. Either way is inner apology. In authentic relating, they have a different language. They call one side is humility and dignity and the other side is posture and collapse. Um, so it's not, it's, it's almost not a fine line. It's, it's, it's actually, there's no line. It's just staying in inner authority. So I can say to you from inner authority, like I don't even know what, I don't know what it means to be an awakened leader. I can say it from inner apology. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm supposed to know and I'm really feeling. And then, then what happens to you, likely, is you start to feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, have you ever been, like, at a conference, you see a speaker and they're in, and they're in inner apology and you just feel so embarrassed? Like, you want to run her out of the room, but you, want, you don't want them to feel bad, you know? But when someone's in inner authority, it's like, you could leave if you will. They don't care. They're like, I'm good. But you want to stay naturally. So it's, it's, it's the quality of welcoming myself as I am that gives rise to inner authority rather than the what I say or even like the content, like I can apologize to you. Wow, I really messed up in a way that's, that I'm welcoming myself or I can apologize to you with my tail between my legs where I'm kind of sulking away and then, then you don't really feel me apologizing. I'm not facing the heat. So I use the word, the the example of apology, because there's nothing that can't be expressed from inner authority or inner apology, depending on how we're holding ourselves, including even apology or telling you that I'm feeling nervous earlier. Like, I don't have a problem with being nervous at this point. I mean, honestly, if I don't get nervous, I've been nervous so long. Like, I was only extremely nervous in my workshops for the first 15 years, (laughs) 15 years, you know, I still get nervous, and if I don't get nervous before I speak, I get nervous that I'm not nervous, and then it works. <laughs> so it's like I'm not apologizing for the fact that I feel nervousness. Um, it's just part of my lexicon. So to get back to the heart of it, so I said there's a lot of answers. The first time I taught the retreat, Awaken Leadership, there's a gentleman who teaches a lot of workshops all over the world, and he said, at the end of the workshop, at the retreat, he said, I realize that I can be afraid and lead powerfully at the same time. Because he came to the retreat because he was feeling like he was sabotaging his retreats and workshops because he felt so f- afraid and he wanted to get over his fear. And I said, I can't help you get over your fear, but I, cannot, I can help you get under it. I can help you drop down into your body where you can welcome the fear and welcome your strength at the same time. So he's now authentic he can be authentically himself, he can be afraid and feel those feelings of imposter syndrome and be genuine and authentic at the same time. He doesn't it's not either or. Cuz we if we fall into the either or, we think I have to have a different experience to be genuine. No, you can you can feel scared, you can feel like wow, these people know more than I do. All of that can be here and you can still be yourself and you can still be profoundly um, effective. Because the being yourself is the primary communication that everyone is desperate to receive, that we can lead from a place of relaxed self-acceptance and inner authority. Wow. Because the opposite is, is deadly. Ultimately, it's like when we're holding our breath in anything we do, especially leadership, the message we're sending is that held breath is necessary and Leadership needs to, you need to recover from it. And it's about survival and suffering. And that is not how I want to live. And I know that it's not necessary. That we can be in, in with ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't work our asses off. It doesn't mean we don't do, you know, the heavy lifting. But from a place where we are authentic and genuine and breathing, it's a very different approach. And it works whether you're, you know, running a company or just going out on a date or cleaning your room. Leadership is in every moment. It's not just in the quote-unquote, you know, Fortune 500 place. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I have people come to my retreat who are full-time on the road through the different continents teaching workshops. And they come and they want to they're burning out and they want to know how they can sustain themselves in the work. And I have people who have never taught a workshop and they're thinking they might or they're coaches and they want to know how they can be one-on-one, be themselves and make a difference for this one person. So leadership it has a, a particular pigeonhole, but it's not that. It's it's a lot of different. It's every aspect of our lives. Like, how do you open the refrigerator and take out the orange juice? Like, what is... Like, you know, what is, that, what is that for you? So it, it goes to every moment. And it, it also covers the big picture. As best as, you know, and I'm saying that. And I, you know, there's always this, there's always a gap. There's a mystery. Like, I don't know. You know, I do my best. And I don't know is either an inner apology. It's like a, it's a crime. Or it's a doorway into wonder. Because to me, you know, the meditation, the Zen mind, beginner's mind. You know, Socrates apparently said, you know, all I know is that I know nothing. There's something sacred about, I call it the gap between, you know, who we are and what's real. We don't actually know there's a gap. And to admit that and to celebrate that, it changes it, the nature of it, 180. It's, it's like actually, it's, it's like you found it. I said, I don't know. And you, you had a big smile and you're like, wow, shoulders drop, he doesn't know. <laughs> You know, when I first started teaching school teachers, this is a g- 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 good story. Like, people, um, I'd say to people, they'd ask a question, I say, I don't know the answer. They get mad. Well, you don't know, but we hired you to be here. Right. And it, for me, it was a place where I was still in inner apology. But over the years, as I embraced my inner authority, when I said to someone who asked a question, I said, I don't know, they'd get excited. Sure. You don't know. Hey, everybody, we don't need to know. This is great. It was a compl- it was like totally different. Right? It's like, so it's literally how I hold myself inside the not knowing. And people got lit up. They get lit up. They go, this is great. I can relax in the classroom. I don't have to know it all. Versus I'm really mad that you don't know. And I want to know. And it's like, good luck. Good luck having it all together. That seems like a really hard job. So.
0: Well. I mean, you said so many things and I'm just like bookmarking them in my head right now. But I think I think the, you know, something I like to sort of grapple with is what is the new story that it's emerging now in this new decade in 2020, you know, Phoenix rising from the ashes. We don't need to go into what this year has been. I think we all kind of know at this point we're cocooning. Right. I love that metaphor. We're not really the caterpillar we're not really the butterfly we're kind of like somewhere in this shell of like cells dying off and imaginal cells being created and i don't know why but i just feel this impulse to just mirror something you said which is i think the story of i don't know is is exciting (laughs) i don't know i mean i don't know yes but and i feel like this is Like you were saying, leadership is like so much more than we think it is. And even I came to mind with doctors, you know, (laughs) there's a whole body of biology and medicine that's telling us a different story. And there are some people who, you know, they specialize in something. And if they don't know something, it's like too hard to say, I don't know. It's like, well, that's not my specialty. Instead of, I don't know, but what could be?
1: Right. I don't know opens up curiosity. And exploration and learning and genius. It comes from I don't know. It's, it's, it's the opposite of that. And um, so, a couple things about I don't know. I, I work with individual clients, and I often give out what I call sacred mantras, and my hands are in quotes now because <laughs> the mantras are in English. And one of the ones that I've given out the most is I have them repeat after me I don't know. <laughs> And that's potent. If you let yourself, let the silence between the words have have impact. I don't know is such a relief. It's scary. But it's true. So I don't know is a big one. I am lost. Because we're all lost. I mean, if COVID is not a signal for that, we don't know what's going on, right? It's universal now. We're lost. You know, and another one that I gave out recently to a client is, "Please help." Not that it's specific, but just to be open, to say, "Look, I don't have the answers, and I I could use. I I I want to be open to possibilities." So, please help. Is you could think of it as to the universe or to a friend. It doesn't matter or to yourself. Like, I don't know, and I and I and I want. I want. Just that is is so relaxed I, I mean I can use the word healing, but there, there's a whole story around healing um but it's 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 helpful you know and then and then going back to covid i mean i have my my opinions about it i mean obviously it's it's been devastating uh and continues to be devastating and and if there are lessons, one of the lessons is uncertainty like we like governments don't know scientists don't know like we don't know and honestly to me if one embraces uncertainty in their personal life they're just going to be happier it's a it's a it's a doorway into happiness Un- we don't know you know and death which is a the signature part of covid right has its its message that yeah we we don't know and things are going to end and this is not necessarily Bad, I mean, individual death, yes, but in terms of me as a person, knowing that I don't know and that and that life is always changing, it's it can be a doorway into welcoming myself. Whereas I know everything and I'm going to live forever, um, is a closed door. And so there's a vulnerability that is being offered. With what's happening in the world, I'm not saying that I'm in support of COVID at all. It's just, it's it's what's here, and and how how are we with this message? You know, what do we do with it? And I just invite you know, people listening, what would it be like to admit to yourself without collapse, without a inner apology, like, yeah, I don't know. I'm uncertain. Life is a mystery. And what might, what positives might become from that embracing Mm -hmm. of uncertainty? Mm -hmm. And so what I discover, like in my retreat or in my work, is I often will be speaking, I'm facilitating, and I literally, I'll say, like, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. And I say, okay, find a partner. Find a partner and stand up. And I literally don't know the next word and it just comes out because the more as, as I embrace my uncertainty, something quote-unquote bigger than me seems to come through and 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 do the heavy lifting. Like life is working through me rather than me trying to to work life. And the thing that I'm really keen on these days is a growing awareness and celebration that the steering wheel that I'm holding is not attached to anything. (laughs) 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 Like I am, I am, it's like, I'm just making up this story that I'm in control and I'm doing all these things and life is doing what life is doing. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that's been one of the lessons this year of like, you know, I'm in Indonesia and the airport's open, the airport's closed. This happens. This, and it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just doing my best to breathe and, and, and welcome myself as the uncertainty comes in big and bigger and bigger waves. Mm-hmm. And so there is something in the being small, like I don't know, I, I don't know, and I'm helpless. There's something in that that's honest and allows something to move through me that, that seems to know a lot more than I do.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it just dawns on me that I can only speak from my personal experience, but I never had a class growing up in school, the I don't know class (laughs) or the I don't know sacred mantra or the being okay with the uncertainty of the future because, you know, traditional schooling and my mother's a teacher and I so 110%, 1000% respect teachers and educators. They do very hard work. Yes. And, um, you know, hats go off to you guys and gals. The, I don't know, it, it, that's a practice. Yes. And, you know, meditation, mindfulness, yoga, tantra, whatever you practice, that's great. And in a sense, like when you are like letting go of whatever thoughts, distractions, narratives, stories, you're just kind of dropping into the space, this like void almost mm-hmm. where you know, there isn't like, um, yeah, there isn't like a rule or a law or like a ga- a, a roadmap or anything like that. It's just like emptiness. Yes. And I I also see, you know, you know because we are spirits in human forms and like we've created this world that we live in where things are moving, right? Mm-hmm. There are timelines. People have to be at certain places at certain times, do work, do this, do that. And so what I think we're talking about, it, it's just so profound because it's universal. I see that as just a fabric of humanity. And how do we integrate this being with the, I don't know, into these structures that we've created that seem to be moving faster and faster, yet the world and the COVID moment has asked us to slow down. So we're kind of grappling with these different pushes and pulls and levies and forces. So how can we integrate this? I don't, and maybe the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely the an answer. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to sort of, yeah, move forward. I guess I'm kind of like my, my energy shifting. I'm noticing it's shifting into this like envisioning. Sure. Right, 2021. How do we embrace the I don't know-ness into mm-hmm. this new year ahead?
1: Wow. Well, of course, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, what arises, what I'm noticing is Couple things. The difference between being a human being and a human doing, and the difference between the what and the how. So, I'll explain this, I think. <laughs> I think it'll come out as I, as I talk. Um, so, there's a lot of doing happening in the world, or oh, oh, that's the nature of being human. We do stuff. And, and can we be with ourselves, be ourselves as we do it? And so, if there's a, it's like, I don't know is a doorway into humility. And humility is a doorway into humanness and to openness and to curiosity and to aliveness. So to be doing what we're doing with a even a, a homeopathic taste dose of I don't know allows us to be as we're doing. So like in my book for school teachers, I, I, I there's a chapter on teacher stress. And one of the suggestions is take five minutes a day of unstructured time. Like don't anything. Don't answer calls. Don't read the paper. And my example is the kids would fly out to the break when the bell rang and I would take five minutes and I just stand, feel my feet, notice my breath, walk to the back of the classroom, notice the the lawn and the the bird's nest and, and just slow it down and just remember that I'm a person choosing to teach rather than a robot who needs to teach. And that simple five minutes changed my whole day. Just to uh, like a, a little message, a little reminder from myself to myself that, oh yeah, I'm human. And I don't know, when I boil it down, it, it, it really is saying that, I, that I'm, I'm a human being and, and part of me doesn't have all the answers, and yet this job needs to be done so I can do both at the same time. I can welcome that, I can welcome everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's the human being, human doing, and then the other side, what did I say? The what and the how? Oh, that's one of those, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth next. So let's say I'm um, I'm working overtime and I'm exhausted. And the noise in my head is this sucks and I hate this. And, and basically I'm gonna to have to suffer until I can finally get a nap in or go to home and sleep. And I just, and the how is how am I with myself as I'm noticing that? How am I with myself as I'm working hard? Am I tensing up going, I can't possibly enjoy any moment until I stop working? Or can I breathe into the possibility that even though I'm doing a lot and I'm tired, I'm here and I have myself. And the how is often invisible. And the what takes the the stage most of the time. And in most circles, the what is often negative, like shared negativity. Yeah, doesn't it, doesn't it suck that this, the government did this? And doesn't that suck? This, the elections and this and that. And, and it's like, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, now we're friends, <laughs> you know? But there's another way, which is, yeah, maybe it sucks. And in the moment that I'm saying that, I'm aware of myself and the unbounded nature of like, yeah, and I'm here, and this is great, and that sucks, and, I, and, and, and yes, and so but there's options. There's options as to how I, that's so vague, I know, how I be with myself in the midst of the what that is dominating the stage.
0: Yeah. And I feel like you language it in such an accessible way that it, yeah, like I can, I can feel like a teacher who's never meditated in their life relating to this, I can see someone who's been meditating on mountains for years also being like, oh, yeah, that I feel that. And it's like almost kind of discerning that witness, you know, pure consciousness, if you want to get real spiritual here, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like watching the, the movie or right. the clouds of thought kind of passing by on the screen and just observing, ah, like, I have agency right now because that thought is like one of tens of thousands that just sort of pass over, you know, moment to moment, day by day. Sure. So
1: an example, let's say, let's say you and I are, um, are in a relationship of sorts and we're having a conflict and we're talking about the conflict. And let's say I'm accusing you of something that, that you want to defend yourself. And you notice as I'm speaking, because you've decided I'm gonna let him speak, that your whole body is tensing up. And instead of really listening, you're preparing your response. Does that make sense? Like yeah. Everyone in the audience, raise your hands. This happens to you all the time, right? Of course, right. And so what are your options? Is that, are we robots who have to defend and have to prepare our assault upon the other person stopping? Or can we slow down? And notice that, yeah, I feel defensive, but that doesn't mean who I am is defensive. I just feel defensive and I have choices about it. And I want to give this person the benefit of the doubt, even though he's pushing every button I think I have. So maybe I can press the pause button. Hey, would you pause a moment? I'm getting heated and charged and I want to really hear you. So I need to take a breath or two. Like there's the agency. I want to bring my human into the listening rather than be prepping my, my response later. So there's options. And even if you're just listening, you can't press the pause button. What are your options? Do you have any ways of welcoming yourself? All oh, right, this is that pattern in me where I get really defensive and, and, and hold my breath. I wonder if I can take a breath with that. And so there's, there's always some possible, that's the how. Right. The what is, I'm gonna defend myself. And the how is even defending yourself has options. Okay. And I can sometimes say, you know what? I'm going to defend myself now. I just want you to know. And, you know, and, and I don't know how not to, but if, if you bear with me, once I get this out, I think I'll be able to relax and let the defenses go. Will that work for you? Mm-hmm. Like there's always an option.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This brings it back to authentic relating as opposed to awakened leadership. But there's a, obviously a big overlap between the two.
0: Yeah, and it just brings to mind that, again, leadership doesn't just mean being a CEO or standing up behind a podium in front of thousands of people, although that's certainly one flavor of it. But it's also these moment-to-moments of being, to borrow your words, um, a person embodying their inner authority and being able to choose in the moment how they wish to be. Yes. And um, again, very accessible language. And, you know, you bring it back to the slowing down, which makes me think of, you know, in, in yoga or in mindfulness, it's all about the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest, like when you're grounded and your breath is slower and your mind is steadier just there are more possibilities because there's literally more space that you created, you know, and there's more space between thoughts. So like, wow, if we could even visualize the space between thoughts and the infinity within those thoughts, that's mind-blowing. Yeah,
1: I think of it as um, most of the time we walk, we jump from lily pad to lily pad on the pond. And if we slow down, we sink between them and the gold is on the bottom. So the slowing down So here's a a technique, a tool that I use all the time in authentic relating, I do it in my personal life. Um, I use the pause button. And the way I say it is, I say, can I pause you for a moment? And I don't reference what they're saying. I don't say, can I pause you because you're going really fast and you're not making any sense, I don't do that. Can I pause you for a moment because I wanna, I really wanna digest what you're saying and I just need to take a breath, take a moment to sit with it, would that be okay? And um I've done this hundreds of times, no one's ever said no. Ever. Sometimes I have to get up, oh, raise my hand in a private. Can I can I pause you for a moment? But it's just, it gives me a chance to breathe. And I remember I was teaching authentic relating. So there's like 25, 30 people in a circle. And this guy's speaking, and he's he's going on and on. And it's like my experience was that he was not really being, he wasn't with himself, he was just kind of nervously speaking. So I got a word in and I said, can I pause you for a moment? He said, oh, please, please pause me. <laughs> I do this. I go on this tangent and this roll, and I don't know how to stop. Thank you so much. I was like, because I was so nervous. He was going to be offended, you know. He was like grateful that I paused him. So I keep learning. But it's, there's so many tools in authentic relating. But this is one that I use a lot. Um, pause. And then I also just share... I like to share how I'm being affected. Like as you're speaking, like, so this is not video, but as I'm speaking to you and I'm watching your body language a lot of the time, like your system is, I I perceive that your system is relaxing and what happens to me is that mine relaxes too. I feel excited, I feel um, open. Like there's a connection happening between the two of us that maybe the listeners can sense through the voice, but I can sense it through the eyes mm-hmm. and the voice, like something is softening, and that my heart feels open, mm. so if we're doing authentic relating, then you could say what you're noticing happens to you when I tell you that my heart is opening. you want to try that, sure, okay, sure. so yeah.
0: So as you name that, um, my body is just like nodding. Yes, you see my head nodding, but it's like every part of me feels like it's nodding and it's very um, coherent. Like there's this like coherence of energy and I don't even need to be speaking or because it just I feel it. And so I guess like energetically and non-verbally, I'm communicating that and I can sense you picking up on that, too. And yeah, it feels really good because To your point earlier, when you said that you sometimes you don't even know what you're about to say, but it just kind of comes out and then you trust that you're this channel and that you're just allowing.
1: Sometimes I trust.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sometimes is the key word. I will also add a sometimes to my sentence. And I, I feel that like texture of trust coming through of like, right, Whatever questions I had, they're irrelevant because I'm so present and sort of plugged into this battery of dynamic interaction with you that there's just so much more to explore beyond what I had originally perceived of in my mind because now I'm fully dropped into my body and that feels really good. Um, Although, you know, it takes practice to get there. I'm not saying we can just snap our fingers and it turns on maybe for the masters, but like that... So the impact that I feel is very open. Do I then ask you?
1: Well, we could go on forever. (laughs) And there's something about, so the the technique is called sharing impact. Mm -hmm. And it's a thread of listening because deep listening doesn't just involve eye-gazing at the speaker and um, hoping that they think that you're with them, <laughs> right? It's, it involves letting yourself be affected. And when you share that, when I shared what, how I'm affected by the way you're listening, the way we're interacting, um, it can be a doorway into intimacy. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, but it often is. And it's a, it's a practice skill just to notice and to, first to notice inside myself what's happening. Um, like for example, someone's droning on and on at a workshop or a speaker's running on and I leave feeling exhausted. I'm sure that's happened to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna interrupt the speaker and say, hey, by the way, you know, but but to notice that I'm feeling drained, just the noticing of it gives me energy, because I relax, like go, all right, and I take a breath and I see, oh yeah, I'm getting affected and I'm, there's a me who's not at the effect of the speaker, there's a me and then there's the choice to listen and all of that, so just noticing is valuable, and then in a conversation, naming it can be gold. Mm. I mean, the image I get is that we're now swimming around in the bottom of the pond, and your questions are on the lily pads, mm. and we're in the bottom of the pond. now there's the questions might also be there as well, but it's a different it's a different like more whole bodied uh conversation. Mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm like swimming in it right now. Yeah, you. I do. I do feel like I'm below the lily pads, and I can see them. And I'm like, oh, I can choose to go back up there, but I kind of like it down here right now. And um, yeah, I kind of want to like stay in the space, and it feels good. And to just name it, just it, it, right? It does create this conscious choice that feels like oop. It's just like a subtle shift of like, oh, cool.
1: (laughs) So can you imagine being in this space that you're in, and Reading your questions and following the, the the agenda, you can totally do both.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, you don't. Know, it's not. It's not like, you know, the new age people who are just like sitting in lotus and just spacing out. You can be super functional mm-hmm. uh, and follow the script and all that. It's like, you know, once the actor learns the lines, then the work begins. Mm-hmm. You know, like being the character, being loving oneself. Once once we have the script or the agenda, whatever it is. How do we show up? Mm. And so sometimes it's the what, sometimes the the questions change or we do something different and sometimes we do what we do but there's this softness and this, this richness or nurturing that happens kind of almost invisibly as we're welcoming parts of ourselves. Like I have this all the time, even as we're speaking, the noise comes in my head about, you know, imposter syndrome has come up a little bit, different things and I notice it and I go, See, my my approach is 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 rather extreme, okay? So if I have a noise on my head that says, you know, I'm a fraud, what I do, and it's automatic now, it's just like instantaneous, I ask myself, if this is true, and it could be fraud or whatever it is, you know, arrogant, um, if this is true, can I still love myself? Mm-hmm. Can I be kind and tender with myself, even if I'm lying, even if I'm wrong, even if I'm off track, can I still welcome myself? Can I, can I be with that? It's almost like imagine that that self is a three-year-old. Of course I can be myself. I don't have to be right. I can be, but I can be kind. And so that's happening to me in a lot of ways all the time. These little, little waves come and I go, all oh, right, there's that old, my old friend, um, you know, imposter. Has come mm-hmm. up, or my own friend, or my old friend, um, whatever it is, <coughs> um, and I go okay because they become friends rather than enemies when I open the door and welcome them. It's like okay, yeah, I can love this part. I, it's not even love this part. I can love myself as this, yeah. because I think of it as as you know, like when I was a kid. Do you remember those those Crayola crayons, the ones in the the big box, like the That's sixty them. the sixty four pack of crayons? Like I c- coveted that pack, you know. <laughs> And so analogously, what, when I welcome a, part of, a certain part of myself, an aspect of where I don't think I'm enough, or there's so many. And in my workshops, we explore all of them or as many as people bring up. I call them radio stations in our head. you know. As I welcome one, it's like I take that crayon and put it in my box. And now it's an ally. So I'm really good with sky blue, but I'm not so good with forest green. But as I continue to keep noticing forest green in my head, and softening with it, then forest green becomes part of the box. And what's really cool is that people who have forest green issues <laughs> will come to me and they'll say, I have a forest green issue and I don't even know who you are, but I just feel like being near you. Can I just talk? Because this is what guiding is. It's like, like I'll give you a, a personal example. Like For many years, I have been consciously welcoming sadness. Like just year, decades, you know, and it's been a really rich, like sadness when I welcome it is rich and it's, it's, it's sensitive and it's alive and it's, there's a beauty to it. And people would come up to me, they still do, almost you know, Rick, I'm feeling really sad and I just felt to come talk to you. And I'm like, take a number. (laughs) You know, other feelings like anger or fear or humiliation, I have a much harder time with. I'm still kind of working this, but with sadness, it's like, sure, come on, let's be sad together. Because I'm not pushing it away, and so they feel welcomed. It's this really weird dynamic. Now, I'm not saying, because there's a noise in my head, I'm not saying I'm a master of sadness. I'm just saying it's more, I'm more coherently welcoming it than other experiences. Mm. And so when people are feeling this, those feelings I'm welcoming, they feel welcomed by me. Mm. It's just natural because the field, if that makes sense, is welcoming that experience. And so they come with it, and it just shows up even. Mm-hmm. They, might not, they might not feel sad when they come, but then the sadness comes because it's like, this is a feeling I've been pushing away and now it's welcome. So let's, and I just want to name that. Like that's what comes up. Mm-hmm. So it's this weird kind of invisible, mystical, ordinary thing.
0: Well, the quantum physics nerd in me, hearing you say the field is just lit up because you are literally broadcasting a frequency. You can't see it. Nine to nine percent of frequencies we can't see. Only one percent we can actually sense with our you know, eyes, ears, right. hands. Um, but I think the alchemy of consciously choosing an emotion, however uncomfortable or traditionally like... Oh, It is, is actually creating a different chemistry than just like the thing itself, where unconscious sadness but have a very different color, since we're using the Crayola metaphor, than conscious sadness, because the choosing of the welcoming is a different charge than the unawareness of the emotion that's just happening without us even realizing it.
1: Yes, and it's not that I'm out there seeking to feel sad. It just shows up. It's like certain experiences you could call them emotions or noises in your head, knock on your door. And, um, you know, so if we close the door and we bar it, we take all our energy to defend ourselves from those noises, and then we get drained, and then we get small. It's like if you you wall something out, you wall yourself in. So as we begin to welcome in small steps, the tender edge, step-by-step, small doses, these things that we've pushed away, And begin to discover that they're actually doorways into softness and openness rather than problems then we increase our energy we increase our capacity for kindness and for connection with others because the wall comes down and we're open Mm. but it's not it's not a you know i'm not into the big catharsis i'm not into the big scream i'm not into like leap it's like step by step Mm. we need to because the body can only go so fast there's trauma in everybody. We've got to go small steps, connect with safety and resource. That's a whole other podcast. Sure. Uh, trauma, but to go small steps. One step into mystery, one step into, one foot into resource. And we go slowly as we welcome these things. Oh. And sometimes the question I ask, can I welcome this? I go, I don't know. Maybe I can't. And then I can I welcome that I don't know. <laughs> that I can do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's always a yes, but sometimes it's two times removed.
0: Wow, and you start there,
1: and that's that's enough, yeah.
0: Oh, it's yeah, it's just welcoming the yes in every moment, even if it's turning up in a different way than you had originally expected. Which it, it to.
1: always does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you never know when you're going to get that yes, and how you're going to get it. But just like you keep saying. Um, yeah, it's like that trust and all these other beautiful things that I'm not going to try to repeat because I feel it in my body and my system. And I mean, I could talk to you for hours and hours. Um, mm. And I'm consciously choosing to go in this direction of envisioning. Yes, please. Um, So all of this that you are sharing with us, it's like really deep wisdom. And I feel like I can't speak for seven billion other people, <laughs> but I do feel like I'm shifting as I'm listening to you. I know that as I shift, those around me will probably shift, and then we'll all sort of collectively start shifting. Yes because of leaders like you. And I just just for funsies, as a thought experiment,
1: <laughs> just for fun. Okay.
0: If you could just radiate this wisdom. Mm-hmm. to any particular person, organization, culture, someone that I that you really feel like you would love to gift, the tender edge, authentic relating, all these modalities that you've mm-hmm. shared with us today, who or what would that be and why?
1: Wow, no one has ever asked me that question. So I've never thought of it. <laughs>
0: That's great.
1: I mean, I, wow, if I had a superpower and I could like tap people on their forehead and they would suddenly get it, is that what you're saying? Yeah, sure. Um everybody. <laughs> I mean, everybody I come in contact with. You know, there's this line from that um, what's that song? I uh It's a Wonderful
0: World? Oh, yeah. Louis Armstrong.
1: Yeah, Louis Armstrong. So one of the lines is I see friends shaking hands saying, How do you do? They're really saying, I love you. Mm-hmm. That really touches me. It's like that's kind of what. I like to think I do from, at least from time to time, is I'll just, you said I'm a bridge. It's like, I don't come to people and say, so what's authentic in your life today? Like, I don't do that. <laughs> I just try and receive them as they are and the innocence and perfection of who they are. Like, cause if, ev- if everything is welcome, then everything is welcome and they don't have to be different. And so in my welcoming, there is this bridge where like I'm aware of the, of the beauty and the wholeness and the innocence inside of people, and, and most of the time, like there's something quite profound about just being human in the world, even if we are, you know, walking into a wall trying wondering why the door isn't opening. There's something just in being human, in that human condition. And so the the what I what I intend in my better moments. Is that what I'm offering when I say, "Yeah, that's hard, isn't it"? Or whatever I'm saying, or "Can you pass the salt"? Is you're still good. You're all good. You're so good. Like you don't. You don't have to be different. Like it's already okay, and life is um, hard and and beautiful, and so. You know, I don't know how to answer your question other than everybody I come in contact with, I, I wish, including myself, because I keep discovering these hard places in the corners of my consciousness where I haven't said hello to. So it's for myself. And then I look at systems. You know, I'm from the the U.S. I look at systems like education. So dysfunctional. Government, law, medicine, business. Like, you name a situation and it's all, in my world, It's it's manifesting inform the base consciousness that we carry on the four-year-old consciousness the consciousness that caused the u.s to attack iraq when Saddam <laughs> it's like when uh when osama bin laden the world the world trade center like we're just gonna we're just gonna kick somebody's ass because we're four years old and that's what we do and then we wonder why all our systems are so dysfunctional because that's the uh, and, and it's not that a particular leader did that. It's that it's uh, the collective consciousness. So a little bit of, a little bit of grace, a little bit of like slowing down and in breath inside of any structure would be a really good thing. And it's it's uh it starts with me, it starts with you, it starts with people listening. Like, what are you noticing right now? You know, as you're listening, like, is there a moment where you can? Just be with yourself, how you are. Notice how you are tired of this long podcast or really into it or whatever it is and go, yeah, that's where I'm at. And just okay. Where I'm at is okay. Mm-hmm. And that and to me, that's how it spreads. I mean, it's and it's not when you're talking about envisioning, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to what to do in the big picture because the structures, you know, so many structures, you see this in schools, like some visionary who's like really loving themselves creates a beautiful school and then tries to replicate it and it doesn't work because they're not there. Their consciousness isn't there. And so the structures are there, but it it, it falls apart because people think the form is going to provide the consciousness and it's the other way. So I uh, this is something I'm I wrestle with all the time. You know, so the first thing is to... It's like I work with teachers. I I have this company. We're we're touching lots of teachers' lives. And I think the education system in America is dysfunctional. And I I have a best-selling book that's helping teachers succeed in a dysfunctional system. Like, how do I live with that, right? And the way I do that, it's that starfish story. Well, save that starfish. It's like the only first thing is to find some forgiveness and some grace and some room to be inside of being a teacher because the job description is almost impossible. And to feel like a sense of capable capability with the, the strategies they give, and also like a breath of fresh air, as a teacher slows down, Is oh yeah, I, I, I love this, I love myself, I love this job, then maybe the system can transform. But initially, at least, they have some, some feet on the ground, some some agency, some self-love, perhaps, some compassion. And so that's how I justify succeeding, teaching, training teachers to succeed in a dysfunctional system. Well, we start with where we are and we love it from the inside out and then see what happens. And, and that's, that's my contribution. And I know I could probably, you know, create a school and do all that, but it's not been my passion. My passion is to, to, to notice and welcome what already is before i try and move it to the next stage yeah. and other people do that other people will they get their their hands dirty and like okay let's roll up our sleeves and let's build this thing and let's do this thing and that, and i do some of that but most of it is more internal for me mm-hmm. And i think both are necessary
0: yeah and that diversity is so <sighs> it's nature's greatest design right the diversity of humans and the diversity of nature. Um, We're all together resilient. But when we try to operate in silos, that's when things start to get wobbly and weird. Um, And, you know, what you're saying speaks to themes that I've heard podcast after podcast of leaders or people that are starting to see, wow, you can create all these like intricate plans. You can create beautiful stuff. And I mean, I'm not knocking it. It's amazing. There's so much talent. At the same time, like you're saying, you can't build a form and expect that form to fill you up because it has to start from the inside in. That's our greatest gift. I think that's the awakening, just realizing that and then making friends with it and taking one foot in front of the other and saying, cool, um, how can I notice more and more and more about myself so that I can follow, you know, the question into an answer whenever that comes? (laughs) Um, And I... Yeah, wow, so much there. And I just, you've already presented so many questions and so many thought experiments that I personally want to delve into. And I guess for the awakening, because I think it's a process, mm-hmm. lifelong, um, for this awakening leader out there, to close us out, what would be just a message or a question that this person can reflect on as we close twenty twenty? as we enter 2021 and beyond, and just gracefully move into whatever is there.
1: Well, I know whatever I say, I will wish I said something better later. (laughs) Just naming it. (laughs) Just naming it. Just naming the noise in my head. Um, What what comes to mind is something kind of simple and not so easy, which is that we are humans and we are beings. We are human beings. The humans are, the human part of us is filled with contradiction, longing, loss, uh, limitation, insecurity, all the conditions of life. It's built into our nature. And the being is unconditionally welcoming. And the two together make a human being. And it's not that the being should overwhelm or overtake the human, they exist, they coexist in perfect harmony, when we welcome both. And in a funny way, when I talk about unconditional love, welcoming the conditions, the being is the unconditional love, the human is the conditions. So by noticing and welcoming, noticing and naming the conditions, we open up the opportunity for the being of who we are to begin to welcome that. And so it's a process. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a treasure hunt, really. Life is a treasure. Well, like, it's buried treasure. Like, oh, this part of me, I pushed away for so long. You know, in an authentic relating, it comes down. One of the, one of the practices, in addition to welcome everything, is assume nothing. To, and the way you do that is you, you, it's not like you ever arrive at nothing, but you notice the assumptions that you have. And in noticing them, you realize that they're assumptions, and you can let them go. And so it's a process of, it's like unbecoming of letting go of who we think we are and letting the conditions be innocent. So if there's a, if there's a practice or a wish, this is where I know I'm going to wish I said something better, more (laughs) profound. Sorry, everybody. You have to reach out to me on my website if you want more profound. Um, and by the way, I want to say I have some great blogs on my website. It's like I one is them. called, one is called um hopelessly insecure, one is called in celebration of neediness.
0: Consciously lazy and selfish.
1: Conscious laziness and selfishness. It's like, how do we bring, how do we bring our being to these particular conditions that have such a bad rap? I think that simply like the simplest thing is to take time to slow down. Take a breath, literally a a breath. And it's not like, (gasps) like to actually a full breath. (sighs) (sighs) A little sound vibrates the vagus nerve, brings us closer into parasympathetic. It's very simple. Take a breath and see if you can mm, welcome softness into whatever's happening and see what happens. That's all That's all I have to say.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I just felt like I snuggled into a soft blanket so that that sometimes the simplest things, I think, resonate the most because they're true. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm just learning from you in this moment. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be profound. Like, what is profound? It's actually what you just said. Thank you. So I just am mirroring that and mm-hmm. I feel it and... Yeah. I'm just, yeah, so honored because I feel like everything you're saying, it's not like the intellectualization of creating a new paradigm, but it's like the feeling of one, which I don't think I've ever put into words.
1: I, I, like, to think, I like to think that it's feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, at some point I just got so tired of, of kind of swinging and missing <laughs> you know and i think i mean i think intellectual pursuits are great and i'm i li- i like to think i'm good at it but there's something else mm-hmm. how am i in the moment how am i this moment what's happening underneath the surface it's such a rich exploration
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's it's uh, it's like i said it's a treasure hunt even though it seems like whoa it's a treasure hunt
0: yeah yeah and uh you know i'm just so um i don't even know what the word is but i'm just like feeling the feeling that's, you know, of coming to an end in a podcast and being like, wow, I didn't think I could go through a podcast just like maintaining this feeling and not looking at the questions the whole time. And I just I just stopped looking at them. And 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 so I just wanted to tell you guys listening that it is possible. And that was very new for me. (laughs) I'm just gonna name that. And thanks to you, Rick, like you know, there's possibilities and being able to swim underneath the lily pads and having choice to go up or just to stay down or maybe floating somewhere in between. And that feels really good. And so the possibility is there. Hopefully you guys listening feel it. And um, yeah, just once again, thank you so much, Rick, for being here, being present and just, yeah, really sharing from the heart.
1: Thank you and thank you so much for being on this journey with me. It's been really sweet.
0: Ah, so guys, if you're feeling uplifted, shifted, moved in any way, um thank you so much for your support. Please share this episode far and wide. We're going to be sure to include Rick's links in the the show notes so that you guys can yeah, connect with him if you feel so called. Um follow his work. He's in Bali. But he's globally uh, available to be, yeah, here to support you. And so we will do that. We are so honored and thankful to Rick. And we will see you guys next week. The Alt-Normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of dig, seed, grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.